This episode is brought to you by the Disability and Food Art Exhibit, a groundbreaking exploration of disability, culture, and food stories in the Couch and Valley through photos and videos. Learn how you can support this in-person and virtual exhibition at disabilityandfood.art. That's disabilityandfood.art. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger. I begin this episode with a heavy sigh. Because my spirit is tired and my heart is broken. I'm tired because hate against BIPOC is unrelenting and ever-present in North America. My heart is broken because innocent Asian Americans were murdered in Atlanta this past week. And many more were assaulted all over the continent. We in Vancouver are not immune to xenophobia or anti-Asian hate. It's in our nation's DNA, and it's heightened here in Vancouver, the so-called gateway to the Pacific. Remember 1907, when anti-Asian rioters run rampant through Vancouver's Chinatown and Japantown? Remember Japantown itself, much of which no longer exists because of the unwarranted and unfair internment of Japanese Canadians and Japanese immigrants during World War II? We don't even need to look far back in history to see anti-Asian hate. Reports of anti-Asian hate crimes are surging in Vancouver, attributed to the spark of xenophobia lit by COVID-19 and the gasoline poured on the spark by the past occupant of the White House. A report from the Vancouver Police Department notes an increase of 717%. 717%. In anti-Asian hate crimes from 2019 to 2020. And those are just the incidents that are reported. There are more. There are many, many more. Even my own daughter, who is Filipino and Indian and European, told me she is scared to go outside. She heard about the woman who had had acid thrown in her face in Brooklyn because she was Asian, and she doesn't want to get hurt. She doesn't want to die. I don't want her or anyone to feel this fear. What does this have to do with YVR screen scene? Well, it has everything to do with YVR screen scene. What we see on screen matters. It impacts the larger world. Film workers are Asian. Audiences are Asian. Film and television hold a mirror up to society and reflect back the beauty and the ugliness. And our actors in particular, because of the public nature of their work, are in a position to speak for those who cannot speak and to advocate for change. 
which is why I've invited actress and activist Lexa Doig back to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Lexa is Filipino, she's Scottish, she's Canadian. On April 3rd, she's participating in a Zoom fundraiser in which all proceeds will be donated to organizations fighting anti-Asian hate. I want to know what's motivated her to participate in this event and how the entertainment industry has hurt Asian North Americans and also how the industry can help as we all move forward. Lexa, Lexa Doig, welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. It's very nice to be here uh, virtually this time. But uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me back. What were your first thoughts when you heard what happened in Atlanta this past week? Fuck. Um, sorry. That's literally I, 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 anger. Anger more than anything else. And a lack of surprise, which is awful. But it's this, this um, kind of violence where people have died. I mean, listen, there, there have already been Asian Americans that have died as a result of hate crimes. Um, and I think that they are directly correlated to uh, the coronavirus, uh, to COVID-19 and, and the rhetoric on, uh, from Trump's mouth mm. and a lot of his supporters that um, there, you, you can draw a direct line between the two. You absolutely can. And so when you have this toxic mix of, you know, fragile masculinity and toxic white supremacy. Um, I almost feel like this course was inevitable. And the thing is, people within the Asian community have been raising uh, the red flags about this, have been raising their voices to try and get people to pay attention to this since December of of 2019. Right, pretty much since the, this has since this coronavirus, since SARS-CoV-2 was given a name, um, it, we've seen this. Right, and uh, I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one, but it was a Canadian one where the podcast host had kind of gone back into their archives and said, "Yeah, we had somebody on in February of 2020, um, an Asian Canadian journalist who was who had been raising the alarms about this," and I think that um, cultural issues aside in terms of many, in, in Asia is a pretty fucking big continent. It's massive. There so, are you so know, even things, that's the thing. It's like, so even saying things like Asians is inaccurate, right? Like it's not, the, the reality is, is the target for a lot of these crimes are, they're not South Asians, right? Yeah. Um, they're not Pacific Islanders. So, you know, the AAPI designation, the Asian American Pacific Islander designation is, uh, a, you know, is, is a little unfair to both parties in terms of Asian Americans, which generally refers to people who look to be East Asian or Southeast Asian. Um, Pacific Islanders, Pacifica, Pacificans, I think they like to refer to themselves as, um, have a different experience. Not to say that they don't face racism or discrimination, they absolutely do, but it's a different experience than, say, somebody who's from Hong Kong right? Um, a Chinese person from Hong Kong. So it's, it, it, it becomes a different, you know what I mean? It's, it's even that grouping wasn't done by Asian people, right? <laughs> that grouping was, 
was decided upon by non-Asian people. And, you know, part of that, that, that manifestation of white supremacy and whiteness, um, which I just need to clarify before we go any further, because I get a shit ton of people in my comment section, mostly on Instagram, not so much on Twitter, but, or in my DMs, uh, white people uh, who are very um, defensive and upset, uh, you know, when, when talking about whiteness. So I just, for the purposes of this discussion for your listeners, want to clarify what I mean when I say it. Uh, whiteness is a construct, just like race is a construct. And our society was built putting whiteness at the center. And so whether you have white skin or not, because there are many people who don't actually have white skin that still center whiteness and still um, prioritize whiteness. It's a construct that we need to get rid of, that we need to dismantle. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a challenging week, but you know, I find what you're saying um, in, it very interesting because this has also come up a lot in the conversations that I've had with Black artists, Black actors, Black filmmakers, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the wake of the, the social justice movement that really kicked into a new gear last summer with the murder of George Floyd, you know, about mm-hmm. how our, even, even our industry the film and television industry, the Vancouver film and television industry yeah. is built on a foundation of white supremacy. You know, even yeah. if the people within it, you know, are, mm-hmm. don't consider themselves to be racist or if, you know, they're, they're well-meaning or whatever, but because it, it was built on this foundation of centering whiteness, you know, that's, that's how everybody who is BIPOC enters the, enters the industry, right? Is measuring themselves against, against that. that. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And I mean, this is the thing. It's like, it's also, it's a, it's an interesting thing for me being a mixed race um, woman in that. And I, I had a conversation about this the other day um, on Clubhouse, interestingly enough, with the creators of the, of Jemmy, which is the platform in which I'm doing this fundraiser thing, um, where I was talking about, you know, I was born in the early seventies, right? Uh, trust me when I tell you my entire childhood from the seventies through the eighties, I was very much, you know, being mixed race, and I think you can probably relate to this, is a life of partial erasure, Mm. right? At any given time, you're only seen as one or the other. The whole of who you are is generally not seen, right? Or accepted because we have this centering of whiteness. And so, you know, when I was younger, all anybody saw was the Filipino. As I've gotten older and as time has gone by now, I'm uh, all anybody, I'm, and I'm speaking in gross generalizations, but for the most part, what people see is the whiteness, the, 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 the white. And so I generally tend to, for a lot of people, code is white now, but I didn't when I was young. And to me, that's not progress. That's erasure, right? We've now expanded our definition of what white is. And it has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Again, we're talking about the concept of whiteness. We've expanded what our we've expanded what falls into the category of whiteness. That's not progress. That is erasure. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's that when you, you know, uh, it, it's a fascinating thing because, and I and I, I don't want to call anybody out because it's not. These are all well-intended people. I've worked with so many producers, <laughs> and we talked about this before. It's like that are lovely, wonderful people, but their idea of diversity is just 
the visual, hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you're beige or brown. So that's diverse, right? <laughs> In terms of, you know, shitty representations of Asians, just to give you an example. And again, I'm not naming names because I don't want to, I don't want to call anybody out. Or I don't want to bring any um, smoke on anyone because I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, but, you know, I've, I've, I started out being told you're never going to play. I was younger at the time. You're never going to play the daughter, the sister, the girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to play those roles because you come from a family, unlike what we portray on television, right? We portray these, we portray homogenous families. And like all of my, my Filipino family, which is not, they're not blood relatives of mine. They're just in that Filipino sense of like, Hey, they're Filipino, they're family. Um, But um, they're all, all of my aunties, all of my titas married non-Filipinos. So I have a cousin who's half Filipino, half Dutch. I have another cousin who's half Filipino, half East Indian. I have another cousin who's half Filipino, half Guyanese, half Filipino, half Laotian. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like it's all these, it's this incredible mix. And that was my life. My life was a life of, of, of mix, right? So in terms of portrayal on, on television, I always fell into this category. And this is the funny thing. When I was able to get, you know, when I was hired to play the daughter, the only parent that you ever saw of mine was the white father. And the backstory, not a word of a lie, whether implied or actually said or discussed, not necessarily shown was, well, he served in, you know, Vietnam. Where it's like, and you sit there sometimes and you're like, I actually had a producer say to me, well, I just, I can't see you as being white actor's daughter. And I cracked a joke, really shitty joke, a really shitty offensive joke that I'm actually not going to repeat. Um, that involved about, you know, well, maybe he went to, you know, he, he, he served in the, in, you know, he went and he served and he, he got himself a gal kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Not, that was not, the joke was totally politically incorrect and I'm absolutely not going to repeat it. Um, they, they made that backstory. They made my horrible joke, the backstory. We have some responsibility in that regard. It's like, how are we portraying people? Are we portraying them accurately? Are we allowing them to be these huge, you know, these absolute three-dimensional characters? Or are we seeing them as the other? Is it in who's in the writer's room? Is it in, you know, or being like we, the kinds of stories that we tell? All of the above. Yeah. All of the above. Because here's the thing. As you know, I listened to your great podcast, by the way, about the recent um, controversy over the uh, producer who asked the uh, person wearing a BLM shirt to take it off and not wear it. That was a wonderful podcast, by the way. Thank you. Um, this is the thing. And I work for like I've never had anything but good experiences with Lighthouse Productions. They 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 produce the Aurora Tea Garden series that I do. I don't know that producer specifically because I don't think he's ever worked on our show, but that hasn't been, you know, we haven't had any experiences like that on our sets. But when I went to their website, and this isn't a criticism, but as I'm scrolling through the faces because I wanted to see who this producer was to see if I had worked with them, it's all white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white lady. White guy, white guy, white guy. Yeah. And I don't think anybody sets out to do that on purpose. And I'm absolutely giving them the benefit of the doubt. There are many people who would disagree with me. And I would say, I absolutely believe that they have their uh, proof, their receipts as to why they have those beliefs. My experience when meeting people is I don't, uh, I 
I don't think anybody necessarily sets out to do that. Yeah. But that's again the problem. That's that's where implicit bias comes into it. Is you tend to gravitate toward people that you are familiar with, that you feel are similar to you. Well, if you grew up in a fairly homogenized space, you're going to gravitate to people that look like you. My experience of Vancouver is a little biased because I moved here and then I married my husband and we moved to West Van. West Van is a little homogenous. I grew up in Don Mills, which is a part of Toronto uh, at the time, which was not particularly homogenous. Like the commonality amongst my friends and I wasn't about people of color versus white people. It was actually immigration status in the sense of, are you an immigrant? Are you the child of immigrants? So there was just as much in common between the kids who were newly emigrated or who emigrated to Canada from Scotland yeah. as the kids who emigrated to Canada from Jamaica right? Like they had a commonality. It wasn't about color. It was about, we've brought our culture with us, right? And so I was not raised to be colorblind. I was raised to not only see color, but to celebrate color yeah. and to acknowledge color and to, because color was indicative of culture. Mm. So you're not just, you know, you're not looking at color. You're looking at culture. Oh, you're Jamaican. Oh, that's cool. Oh, you're Sri Lankan. That's cool. You know, I'm Filipino. Like you, you, you share your cultures because that's what you do when you come to a new country because that's the common thread that you have is you're an immigrant or you're the child of an immigrant. So there's, there is, you know, some adjustment that has to be made to the, the mainstream culture. And this is the thing in our industry is the default for mainstream is white. Yeah. That even when you show diversity, I'm this job that I'm doing that I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about. So I'll, maybe be a little bit circumspect about what the job actually is. But one of the things I absolutely loved is that the script breakdown came out. I wasn't going to read for it. I wasn't going to have anything to do with it. They requested me simply because of three words that I have never seen on a breakdown in 30 years must be Filipino because they had already oh. cast. Right. And, and like, I haven't, I haven't seen that. Not to say it never existed. I just personally haven't seen it. Um, but it's because the actor that they hired to play my son mm -hmm. or my character's son uh, is half Filipino. Yeah. So they needed somebody who was Filipino. And they did what I appreciated is they didn't just decide that any Asian will do, which is what usually happens. Yeah. And then when I had, a, I had a Zoom meeting with the executive producer, creator, writer of the show, um, and he was sort of saying, I'm like, he was familiar with my work and he was like, I'm really, really happy to have you on board. And he listened. If you see things in the script, like bring your Filipino culture with you. I'm actually getting a little choked because I've never heard that. It's like when the people behind the camera and he's a white guy, but when the people behind the camera are looking to diversify and they just see the color, not the culture. Yeah. Right. They, <laughs> right? Like it's also erasure. You're, yeah. you're fitting us into it. It's like, you're saying you're a, you're a color, but your home life, because there's a lot of scenes that take place in the home yeah. and it, there's a family dynamic and all that other kind of stuff. And they, it, my son's character's name is junior. And I'm like, Oh, I'd call him Jinja. Mm. And he's like, Oh, you would. And I said, yeah, it's Filipinos always like they, like junior is already a nickname. Yeah. They always go farther. I'm wondering though, if the will 
is there. Like we definitely are, are acknowledging and recognizing the fact that there's a need for mm-hmm. this kind of true representation. But do you see the will, you know, happening, you know, in among the, pe- the people of power um, who are in a position to really make the change? And if there's no will, then what can we do? We who are committed to, you know, to change, to moving forward make our own stuff number one um yes. i think the thing is the um the will is there to a degree but the thing about allyship that i've noticed um i don't know if you saw olivia chang's instagram recently i did and i will be linking to that in the footnotes for this episode it's so powerful. so powerful and so just heartbreaking right but it's like the thing about allyship is that it's it's optional. That's the problem, right? So when it becomes too onerous to actually do, um, it's easy to opt out of it. And I'm not, and again, I'm not saying this to shit on anyone. I'm I'm genuinely not. But the idea that, you know, uh, you have to go out of your way. You have to try harder. You have to look harder right? Like, so the, the, the times where I sit there and I've seen like where I've been asked to read for something, like there's this one show, funnily enough, this was a few years ago that was filming in Toronto where they just kept saying, please, can you, you, the job is basically yours. We just need tape of you saying the words that we can bring to network. Mm-hmm. But the job is that we need you. We can't find anyone. But it was for a character that was Chinese. And I kept saying, no, going, no, I'm, I'm, but I am not Chinese. Yeah. They're like, no, no, it's okay. You look Chinese. And it's like to you, but you're a white. Yeah. Like there's not a Chinese person alive. Who's going to look at me of which I want to point out about a billion Chinese people in the world. Yeah. Not one of some of whom might actually watch your show and are going to be insulted when you stick me in front of them yeah. and try and tell them that I'm Chinese. Cause they're going to take one look at me and go, no, she's not. She doesn't look Chinese at all. Right. And again, I don't want to make anybody who is Chinese homogenized and suggest that they all look uh, a certain way. That's not at all. There is also diversity within that as well. But for the most part, you're not Chinese. I'm not Chinese. It's not a culture that I I bring with me. Yeah. And it does, you know, it does become a a challenging thing. Because I remember having a discussion with my husband, who's a white guy from Kamloops, right? Where he's like, I've played Russian. I've played uh, Irish, I've played, you know, where he's talking about all these different nationalities that he's played. Yeah. And he's like, why shouldn't you also be able to play different nationalities? He's not wrong, but it's like, it's one thing for me to say, I'm Canadian, but I'm playing an American or I'm Canadian, but I'm playing uh, somebody from France or I'm playing somebody from Germany. That's different. That's citizenship. That's where you were born. But when you're talking about ethnicity and culture, that's a different thing. Yeah. And, you know, listen, it does become a little awkward because if you're talking about Irish culture is a culture, right? It is, it is going to be different than, say, somebody like me who's from Canada. And my attitude about it is until we've hit a certain equity point, and I don't know when or where, I don't, know, I don't even know what that looks like necessarily, but until we have more accu- accurate representations of cultures, various cultures, um, I do believe that those parts should be should go to actors from those cultures, right? Right. For the most accurate representation you're going to get. Yeah. 
I think we've had a lot of accurate, accurate representation of Irish culture, right? Whether it's films from Ireland that represent their own culture, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like we've had that and we continue to have that, yay. Um, I'm not saying we don't want that, but I'm saying until we have accurate representation on screen of what somebody who's Filipino is like or what somebody who, you know what I mean? And, and part of what can be done is, you know, for writers, producers, show, showrunners on shows, it's like if you're going to hire an actor, you know, for diversity reasons, because you want to have that person's ethnicity, let them bring their culture. Do you understand what I mean? Because ethnicity and culture are two different things, right? I'm ethnically Filipino. I don't culturally claim it as much because I was raised in Canada and I'm half Filipino. It's a very different experience than somebody who was, a, who was raised in the Philippines. Even somebody who looks like me that was raised in the Philippines, right? It's a different, different experience. So um, the thing is, is that if you're going to hire somebody because you want their ethnicity, you have to want their culture. You have to, you have to, you know, and open up to them. Don't necessarily go and do the research and tell them what they're going to do and say. Just say, hey, like Don, the you know executive producer on the show that I'm about to go work on, was he's like, hey, if you see something where you want to add it, let me know. We'll write it in, or you know what I mean? Because I was like joking, it's like any Filipino house, the rice cooker is never in a cupboard; it's on the counter because <laughs> it's used all the time. Like just little things like that. Right. Uh, right. The but truth that you're speaking. Yes. But that's the thing. It's like, that's where our responsibility lies. And I would say, I mean, it's tough because actors don't often feel like they're in a position, especially if you're a day player, mm-hmm. you're a smaller part to kind of like to advocate for that on set. Um, because I think everybody knows anybody who's been on a set knows that there's, you know, there's that awkward thing of like, um, I have a bit of a problem. I have a bit of a question. And then everything shuts down. And when productions, you know, you always have an AD or a line producer who's like huffing and puffing because, you know, productions cost thousands, literally tens, tens of thousands of dollars per minute on shooting days that having a five minute discussion with the director about how you want to maybe change a line here and there is expected. It happens. It's kind of built into the day to some degree, but there's always like, can we get this over with? Can we just, can we, can we move on? Can we move on? Can we keep moving? Can we keep moving? That, you know, it, that's, that's a tough onus to put on the actors who, you know, believe it or not, unless you're one or two on the call sheet, and even then it depends on the production, you don't actually carry that much power, yeah. if any, none, you, you carry none. So, you know, the, the onus is absolutely on producers, right? Yeah. They're the ones who, who green light shit. So it's, right. it's on the makers behind the scenes to allow for that, to invite that. And the thing is, I think maybe they just don't know that they can, you know, again, to give the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that they they know that they can do that, that they can sort of turn to the actors and say, Hey, if you see a way of, and they might, you know, at this stage of the game, so many white people I hear are terrified of saying anything, even remotely race related, because they just don't want to get, they don't want to get slapped with the label of racist because they said something wrong. Um, I understand that. Uh, but if you really think about how you phrase a question or how you, how you phrase, you know, an offer or something like that, if you really think about it, chances are, you know, uh, the person of color to whom you're speaking will see the intent. And if they, if the impact does not match with the intent, they can say, Hey, just so you know, that's the difference between a call in and a call out Mm. for anybody who's listening, you know, like you call in your friends, you say, Hey, just so you know, um, better way of phrasing that would be this. 
just for future reference. A call out is, you're racist, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Right? There's a difference. Which is warranted in some occasions. Totally warranted. Totally yeah. warranted. You know what I mean? And and so it's, it's I and I, you know, personally find myself, I was joking the other day about being the white translator because I'm, because I'm mixed, I, I have an understanding of that sort of waspy white Anglo-Saxon culture because that's half my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, 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 my Filipino family, that even within my own family, I'm playing, you know, I'm playing translator, right? I'm playing when my mother's upset because my father's family isn't, you know, isn't just descending on the apartment to help out when she needs help. I'm like, they would consider that the height of rudeness, mom. Yeah. They're waiting for you to ask them. Why should I have to ask them? Their family. It's like, because from their perspective, they wouldn't want to impose, yeah. right? Like, that's why, you, Huge you know what I mean? Differences. Yeah. Huge cultural difference. cultural difference, but she gets offended and is very hurt. And I'm like, okay, but you can't hold them to the same standard that you would hold your family to. Yeah. It's a different standard. It's not better or worse. It's just different. So, you know, there's the, so, and I find myself doing that in other respects too, like, the fat shaming that happens in Filipino culture can be a little bit, you know what I mean? You, you learn to not take it seriously, right? When your auntie or your Lola or your mom is like, oh, you got fat. What happened? You got fat. Here, have some food. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're telling you. On one, they start off by saying, hi, I haven't seen you. You got fat. Here, do you want some food? That's, you know, the love language, food, eat it, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, the, the concept of, is it toxic? Sure, probably, but most of us that were raised in it are like, eh, whatever, she's on about it again. My white family, on the other hand, will be like, I can't believe they said that to me. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. It's totally offensive. I'm not trying to gaslight you at all. It is 100% effective, uh, offensive. Don't take any of it seriously. Yeah. Don't take it on, because none of us do, right? So it's that thing of like allow people to bring their culture because when you homogenize when you want the person's ethnicity for visual reasons right for diversity points or whatever um and you erase their culture it's not really diverse because we're still othered because those women i just need to say this the automatic assumption that these um, massage spas were all rub and tugs is part of the fucking problem right? The fetishization of, of Asian women, the number of the nincompoopery of the bullshit that showed up in my comment sections or in my DMs of like, this wasn't racism. This guy had sex addiction. And it's like, okay, I didn't see him pull up at a strip joint yeah. where white women uh, work. I didn't see that. Yeah. So how's that for his sex addiction? I also and don't understand these- this need for people to, they, they would rather accept and and they welcomed the idea that it would be a sex addiction, you know, as opposed to it being racist. Like I don't understand that that inclusion. It can be both. It it can Absolutely. be both. That's the thing. Yes. There's the intersectionality of it being both. And that's the problem is that you have these, you know, and again, this is also us, right? This is also our industry. We are so as the, as the visual medium that exists for the consumption and entertainment, right? Me love you long time. Sucky, sucky, fucky, fucky, right? Like this does not help. <laughs> this does not help. Not to say that's not inaccurate, but if the only thing you're showing, then that's the only, you know, for a lot of people who do live in more homogenous, uh, homogenous surroundings, environments, and it happens, 
I currently live in one, right? Like it's, it happens. It's not the end of the world, but at the same time, if you're not going to have, um, exposure to people of different cultures and, and races, the very least you can do is show a full robust, you know, slice. Yeah. You're not necessarily going to be able to do like the whole culture, but how many fucking movies in Vietnam that have been, that, you know, how many, how many movies, war movies that took place in Vietnam where the Vietnamese are secondary characters in their own fucking country? Like, why come? Of course, there's going to be this fucked up. The, the only women that you show are the prostitutes. I'm putting in quotes because sometimes yeah. they weren't even prostitutes, man. They weren't. Yeah. Right. Like you're not contextualizing any of this. Yeah. And so this is the thing. It's like, this is an example of racism. I'm fully outing um, somebody that my daughter dated. Hmm. I'm going to refrain from naming names. Um, he, and this is what I mean about pervasiveness, white guy cheated on his, cheated on my daughter, right? But tried to convince her that it wasn't cheating because he went to a rub and tug and he tried to convince her that it wasn't cheating because he didn't finish because the woman who was his masseuse was fat and Chinese. Oh. Needless to say, as soon as that shit came out, she was like, I am out, tapping out, right? Oof. This is the thing where you sit there and you're like, the layers of wrong. Yeah. I am double palming, I'm double face palming my yeah. face and trying to hold my brain inside my skull because I can't believe that there is somebody who is basically, how old is he? He's about the same age as my daughter. So like an old Gen Zer. Mm -hmm. Like this is the generation that I actually have a lot of, uh, hope for. I think Gen Z is awesome. I really do. Um, but they still exist. They still exist. And and my daughter was telling me, it's like, oh, he, he gets that from his dad. Like there's the whole family's kind of like that where you're just sort of like, holy shit, yeah. this is, this is it. Like this is, but how do you get to the, how do you get to the place where Asian women who work in a massage parlor are disposable? Yeah. How do you get there? right? You have to see representations of them that are meaningless. They either don't exist for real in your life or they only exist in one role and they are throwaway. Right? What kind of message do you have for Asian North Americans? Like my daughter, who is scared to go outside? Oh, bunny. She's 10. Yeah. Because I know that there are a lot of a lot of parents who, um, well, a lot of people who are scared. There are a lot of people who are begging their parents not to go to the grocery store, you know, without yeah. them. You know, um, I know that there were a few, even in where I live in Kits, uh, mm. at my my daughter's school. Like there were, you know, there were kids who were being bullied. You know, having kids chasing after them, white kids chasing after them, yeah. them the coronavirus, and they have not returned to school. You know, they've actually been pulled, that their schooling has been disrupted because their parents would rather they be educated at home, right? What is the administration doing about this? Like, that's, that's the other thing, too. It's like, what is the administration at the school doing about that? It's because if they're very opaque, you know, they're yeah. not, they treat it on a, it's, it's less about, you know, let's address the systemic racism that led to it. And it's like, let, we'll deal with the, the specific incidents 
or the parents are the the parents of the Asian child are just like we're just not going to which I respect that's I mean here's the problem too right it's like when you when you've been othered right for so long when you have not been respected when you have been dismissed you just go I gotta take care of myself when you ask me what would you say Unfortunately, the reason why I kind of shut down is because the first thing that came to my mind is don't fucking trust anyone, right? It's you can only rely on you and yours, which is kind of how we're raised, right? Like we're raised to kind of recognize you cannot rely on somebody to help you out. This whole idea of sending more police into certain areas to help, you know, maintain order makes it worse, right? Like that is not, that's not it, man. And this is the thing, I, I don't know, I am still learning in terms of, you know, people who are on the ground and have more experience with this kind of stuff in terms of what actually is helpful. Yeah. But it breaks my heart because your daughter's 10 and I'm like, she shouldn't be afraid to move in the world. She shouldn't be afraid to be wounded. And unfortunately, and this is the thing, I know because of what I look like, I'm not a target, mm-hmm. Right. I am very happy to be going, weirdly enough, I, as much as I don't want to be away from my husband and kids for four months, um, I am very happy to be going to Toronto because then I can, you know, my brother has been bearing the brunt of looking after my mom and dad, um, who are in their 80s, so they don't really go out. My father is immune compromised somewhat because he's got multiple sclerosis. Um, but my mom's the one who does the grocery shopping and that kind of stuff, and she's an elderly Asian woman. And my mom is the kind of person where if I say, mom, mom, you can't go out. Don't, don't, don't do that. She, you know, there's all these attacks on Asian people. And she's like, oh, but I'm not Chinese. And it's like, I get that mom. But unfortunately the racists who are doing the attacking can't fucking tell the difference. And not that that's the takeaway from this. The takeaway is nobody should be getting fucking attacked. Exactly. Um, but the thing is, is like, and this is, this is the unfortunate reality. You want the God's honest truth. I would say to your, to you as your daughter's mom, it's like, how Asian does she look? That's and that hurts. You know what I mean? That hurts. Right. Fucking hurts. It's heartbreaking. And I just, I reassure her that she is safe and that she is, she is loved and she is supported. But you know, a lot of the times when I say that I, I worry Mm-hmm. I worry because I know I I know that this world is unfriendly. Um, the thing is to to people who, as you say, aren't well. I mean, not even just homogenous, but you know, it is that we are we we are in a a society that was built on a white supremacist foundation. You know, totally. And until we we really do the work to dismantle it you know, that we'll, we will always be vulnerable, you know, to the whims and the wills of, of the people who would seek to hurt us. And man, I really wanted to leave everything on a positive note today, but I'm, I guess I'm just too tired it is, and too it is, realistic. It is right there. Now. Listen, the, the positivity lies within each individual. With your daughter, right? If people are saying, you know, somebody makes a comment or says something to her, tries to tease her. What I always said to my kids was like, that says way more about the other person than it does about you. Absolutely. Right. And it can hurt, but it can only hurt if you let it hurt. Let it make you mad. Anger serves a purpose. You know, this whole, 
you know, idea of Zen, everybody be happy all the time, meditate your way into positivity. Fuck that noise. Sorry, but positivity didn't fucking change shit. So get mad. Mad is a motivator. Angry is a motivator. Anger gives you fuel to change the shit that needs to be changed. And I have the luxury of being angry because I'm not the target, Mm. right? That's the intersectionality in the place that I'm sitting at right now is although I have family that are the targets and I'm worried about them and want them to be safe. I know that I am not. So my voice, right, is the shield. My voice is the sword. My voice is the one that cuts through the bullshit and says, fuck that noise, right? And your daughter is in that same place, right? She's maybe a target, maybe not. Somebody's going to take a pot shot just to be an asshole, but that's when she can get mad, right? And that's when, like when I was a kid, I remember a kid making a comment about my skin color in class and I may have punched him. I can't remember actually. And I was like 11 at the time. And the teacher was like, what's gotten into you, Lexa? And I told her what the guy said. And she was like, I don't know why you're upset. People spend thousands of dollars to get a nice 10 like yours. You should be happy with your skin color. This is why you don't trust authority figures, right? Uh Because I'm like, that's not the fucking point. But I was the one who was labeled as the disruptor. I was the one who was labeled as the one who was the shit disturber. It's the same thing happens in my comment section. It's like, why are you being so divisive? And I'm like, here's the thing. Talking about racism and calling that shit out is not the thing that's divisive. By the way, it's the racism that is divisive. Right? right? My parents never hung me out to dry. When they got called into the school because I got into a fight because somebody was making fun of my skin color or because I talked back to the teacher because they didn't get the fucking point, my parents had, right? They were like, okay, she was being disrespectful, but can you tell me why that's a problem? Because what she said was right. Mm. So that's the thing that as a parent, if your child is afraid of speaking up or doesn't know what to do, you can let your daughter know, I will always have your back. You call it out. Any day of the week, I will have your back. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope, we, we I hope that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, honestly, when you started talking about, about rage and, and anger and your voice as a sword, I was like, yeah. I will follow Lexa anywhere. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. Can you tell, tell, uh, tell us what you have in store for April 3rd? Like, what are, what are you oh. doing? So um, a Zoom, a fundraiser. So uh, if you go to jemmy.app, J-E-M-I dot A-P-P slash Lexa Doig, one word. Um, Jemmy is a platform kind of like Cameo, but a little bit more um, artist friendly mm-hmm. uh, that Mig Macario um, introduced me to because he's Yay! also doing a fundraiser, as yes. is Crystal Lowe. Yeah. Um, you'll find Crystal Lowe on that platform as well, um, which is, uh, you know, you can... Uh, you can ask for a shout out. I will record a shout out for you. Um, April 3rd is a Zoom hangout. I think there are still a couple of places left. There's a limited number um, where it's a donation by donation requesting around $30, but you can pay whatever you can, whatever you want. Um, and uh, all proceeds will be going to organizations like Stop AAPI Hate, Hate is a Virus, um, a few other organizations I think that Jemmy is um, looking to support, I think specifically in the Bay Area, but um, mm. they might be looking to support, especially with what happened recently in Atlanta, some uh, Atlanta-based organizations, yeah. um, to support victims of, uh, uh, of 
hate crimes against Asians um, and also um, educational resources as well. And they, Jemmy is an app that is, uh, was created. Um, they're all Asian creators. Uh, so they have um, a real understanding of the, the issues facing um, the uh, Asian community right now. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it's come hang out. I'm going to be on the platform for a while. So even if you miss and you can't do the April 3rd, I might do another one. It, a lot of it depends. I'll have to see when I get to Toronto, what kind of time I've got on my hands, but um, I might do another one as well later on. But as I said, you can sign up and ask for a shout out. 100%. I make no money off of this. <laughs> 100% of the money that um, is sort of quote unquote credited to me will be going to these organizations to help out. Go to jemmy.app and see what other creators they have on there because I think many of them, some of whom I don't know, um, they're not all Asian necessarily either. Um, uh, the creators that are on there, uh, they have, um, there's, the, I think many of them are probably also participating in, the, in this campaign that Jemmy's put together. Right. Okay. Well, we will have links to, to all sorts of all, all everything that Lex has mentioned and um, some other resources that are specific to Vancouver uh, yeah. and Canada as well. Lex and if I can say to, yes, before say. you go on your outro, um, if you have any listeners that are in the community here in Vancouver that uh, know me or I know or whatever, and if you're interested in participating in this campaign with Jemmy, if you're not already on Cameo, I mean, even if you are actually already on Cameo, but if you, if you listen, hit me up in the DMs on, uh, on Insta and let me know and I can connect you with the creators of Jemmy if it's something that you're interested in doing as well. Because I, I, I never signed up for Cameo because I'm too much of a flake to kind of be on it in terms of recording shit for people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it requires uh, and, commitment, right? Like people send It kind of does. It. Like yeah, they, yeah. they send you a thing and you've got a timeline in which you have to do it and all that other kind of stuff. And that just fills me with anxiety because I'm a social misfit. Uh, Jemmy's a little bit gentler in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, but if you're interested in doing something like that, um, hit me up, uh, hit me up in my DMs, let me know. And I can, I can connect you with, uh, Annie at Jemmy if, uh, that's something you want to do. Fantastic. As I said, Lexa Doig, I would follow you. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for speaking with me today about this. I, I know that this is not, um, well, it's not fun, you know, no, it's, it's, it's not, but it's necessary. Yeah. yeah they need to, necessary. these are conversations that need to be had and also conversations that I think need to be listened to. So I'm going to thank you, Alexa, for being here today. Um, I, thank I really you for having appreciate me. you very, very much. I appreciate you and everything you do, Sabrina. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to our listeners uh, for putting your, your trust in me and spending time with us today. Uh, the YBR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Ferminger. Edited by Simon Furminger. Give special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane Not Furminger Double for the original music. Webier Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. You can find us on all the socials at YVR Screen Scene, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts for free, and at our home on the web at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And stop Asian hate. Cut. One out of every five Canadians is disabled. And one of the biggest barriers they face is food. Not just in the ability to prepare it, but also gaining access to healthy ingredients. These barriers often intersect with other areas of marginalization such as ethnicity, sexuality, 
and gender identity. How can we help? How do we begin improving food security for marginalized Canadians? We can start with awareness. And Jules Sherrod is inviting all of us to take that first step and be part of the solution. Jules is a disabled food photographer and advocate with a mission to increase awareness and provide solutions to create better accessibility to those who need it. His plan? To create a photography and video exhibit, both online and in studio, that showcases the food-related stories of eight disabled Canadians, eight Canadians from culturally diverse backgrounds, and eight Cowichan Valley food and beverage producers. This project will also create at least five added jobs for disabled and other marginalized people. And Jules is inviting all of us to be part of bringing this important project to life. Your contributions will launch a unique art exhibit and shine a light on one of the biggest and most life-threatening barriers disabled Canadians face today, accessing food. Learn how you can support this in-person and virtual exhibition at disabilityandfood.art. That's disabilityandfood.art. Every little bit helps. Thank you.